right, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, I know many of you bring your Bibles to church every week um, because we dig in Scripture, and I'm going to invite you to go to uh, 1 Kings uh, 19, uh, and as Jeff said, uh, that is in the Old Testament, uh, 1 Kings 19, beginning with uh, verse 19. And uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Blessed to be a Blessing. And the big idea behind the sermon series is that you've been blessed. You've been given gifts. And God not, not only wants you to discover your gifts, but he wants you to use your gifts uh, to bless other people, to share your gifts uh, with other people. And we started our sermon series talking about how you are a gift. And then we talked about how you have gifts. Uh, we've talked about how you are called uh, to use your gifts, and today we are going to talk a little bit about growing in your gifts, growing in your gifts, and that God has given us one another to help us to grow in our gifts. And we are talking about the, the lives of Elijah and Elisha. Now, some of you were here a couple weeks ago where we talked about Aquila and Priscilla, right? Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? I mean, how, how does that even happen? Aquila and Priscilla, you know, are this couple uh, in the New Testament that God uses. And then, of course, in the Old Testament, it's Elijah and Elisha. Try saying that 10 times fast. Elijah, Elisha, Elijah, Elisha. It's a tongue twister, right, Jeff? It was fun just to sit there and watch you stumble uh, around this morning because I have been practicing all week long. It was not Elijah to Bob. It was not Elijah to Jim. It was not Elijah to Tom. It was Elijah to Elisha, which is wonderful. And that's what we're going to talk about is that kind of that passing of the torch uh, between Elijah to Elisha. And we're going to look at the text there in 1 Kings chapter 19. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for today, for an opportunity to gather together as your people. And Lord, as you have called us and invited us to live into our gifts, Lord, we thank you for uh, the relationship between Elijah and Elisha and God, what we might discover about them this morning. And so Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, through the years, I have had uh, many mentors in my life, people who have really poured into me and encouraged me and helped me uh, to become who I am today. And as I look back through my life and I was reflecting this week on some of my mentors, one of my favorite mentors uh, was a, my high school cross-country coach, Mr. Griffith. He was also the chemistry teacher. Um, all of us on the cross-country team, we just called him Griff. It wasn't even Coach Griff. It was just Griff. And Griff was uh, himself a really good runner. He could uh, actually beat any of us in high school, and he was probably in his 50s. He was a very fast runner, a very accomplished runner. Um, and he taught us a lot of things about what it meant uh, to be good runners and, and to run together as a team. And things that you might expect, the importance of stretching together, um, getting your muscles all loosened up. Uh, then he taught us other strategies um, about running up hills. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, and so there were hills and uh, that we would run up and down uh, on our cross-country course and different meets we went to. Um, pacing ourselves to not go out too fast. You know, I mean, kind of all the typical coaching kinds of things that you might expect uh, 
a coach to teach their runners. But I think of all the things that Griff taught us about running uh, as a cross-country team, the most important thing I think he taught us was to always run in packs. Never run alone. And if he ever saw us out running either in uh, a practice or in a meet, he would always yell at us, hey, find some guys to run with. Um, because he knew how important it was for us to not run on our own. And, and he knew what he was talking about because what, what we discovered, he knew we discovered, was that when you run together in a pack, when you run together with teammates, you actually run faster. You push each other, you challenge each other. And when you get tired, there's the energy of the, those group members around you, the other guys on the team, uh, to be able to stay together and to keep going. It's just a brilliant strategy that he taught us. And, and in fact, uh, my senior year in high school, uh, our cross country team, uh, we won the state championship for the largest schools uh, in the state of Minnesota. And I don't think we were the fastest runners uh, in the state of Minnesota. I, I don't even think we were the most talented or the most gifted. I think we had a really good coach. I think we had some, I think he was probably the best coach in the state of Minnesota at the time. And what he did is he imparted to us and helped us understand the importance of strategy, really good strategy. And of course, that strategy was staying together. Now, to be clear, uh, Griff uh, was not kind of the guy who uh, invented this whole idea of the importance of running in packs. This idea of sticking together, this idea of working together, of helping one another uh, so that you can experience growth. This is a biblical idea. This is a biblical concept. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon writes this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You guys know this verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's this idea of how important it is for us as Christ followers to gather together to support one another and to encourage one another. And in his book, uh, Pastor Don Everts, uh, he writes kind of similarly along this vein. He says, this good news that God expects us to faithfully steward our gifts by developing them over time can help reignite gift development within the church. Historically, this has happened, whether formerly or informally, informally through relationships. And so we discover, I mean, we, we can all take a, a gifts uh, exam or read a book and, and learn about gifts, but where we, these gifts really come alive is in the, the context of community, in the context of one another. It's that idea of helping one another to grow through community and through relationships. So discovering our gifts together and then executing our gifts as well. Now, I know you guys have already bought into this, uh, so I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning, but I just, I wanted to pause for a moment this morning and just kind of celebrate kind of where we're at with uh, our, our life groups and, and how we're navigating and going through this book together. So as of today, we have 90 of you, nine zero of you, uh, who are uh, signed up and committed uh, to be in a life group. We're not a big congregation, so it's 
80 adults and 10 youth have said, I'm going to be a part of a life group. I'm going to engage in relationship and connection, and we're going to go on this journey together. And I'm just, that's 16 new people uh, this year over last year, 2022. And I just want to say thank you for uh, hearing God's call uh, to be a part of a life group and engage together uh, in the community. 2023 is going to, I think, going to be in, uh, a year of iron sharpening iron. That's really my prayer for all of us uh, in ministry. So we're going to look at this morning, uh, as I think about iron sharpening iron, I think about Elijah sharpening the iron of Elisha. Now, one of the things before we kind of get into the text a little bit is I just want to remind you who Elijah was. Uh, Jim Pitzer talked a little bit about Elijah a couple weeks ago, but what you really need to know this morning is Elijah was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, bar none. You ask anyone, who was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Everybody's going to tell you it was Elijah because he performed many miracles Somehow, some way, God put this anointing on him. There was something special, something unique about Elijah. And everybody knew that he was the greatest prophet ever. Now, what is a prophet? Oftentimes when we hear the word prophet, we think of maybe like a fortune teller, someone who speaks, I'll just say, prophecy uh, about the future. And that's part of it, for sure. Prophets oftentimes speak about the future. They are foretellers occasionally. But most important, the role of a prophet is to be a foreteller, someone who speaks the truth. They speak it in the moment, in the here and now. And this was really important in, in ancient times for God's people to have these prophets. God would raise up these prophets, these people to speak the truth. Because God's people, the Israelites, they had this habit of constantly straying away from God. They had this, this, uh, this legacy of kings and leaders who would, would, would be put in position, in place, to lead the nation of Israel, and then they would slowly drift away. And the role of the prophet was to call them back. Hey, guys, you're going down the wrong path. Hey, guys, you're doing the wrong things. Hey, guys, stop following those other gods. And so the role of the prophet was always to speak the truth. As I think about a prophet in ancient times, and, and even prophets today, they were not popular people because the people, the, the, the people did not want to hear the truth of the prophet. This is why people would slowly drift away from God. They would slowly drift away from the community of believers and what, how God was calling them to live. I think about uh, that movie, A Few Good Men. Tom Cruise is, you know, this lieutenant in the military. Someone's died and he's like the prosecuting attorney, right? And he thinks Jack Nicholson, the other guy in the movie, had something to do with it. So there's this really intense court se courtroom scene. And Tom Cruise is demanding the truth. And he's getting Jack Nicholson all worked up. And at some point in time, Nicholson yells out, you can't handle the truth. Silence. And that was really the case for the Israelites. They couldn't handle the truth. They didn't want to handle the truth. And honestly, we're no different than the Israelites. We don't like to hear the truth. 
And this is the very reason why God has raised up prophets, prophets like Elijah, to speak the truth. And as we look at the various prophets throughout the Old Testament, as they spoke the truth, they were not popular people. They lived lonely lives because people got angry with them for hearing the truth. And even people who have the gift of prophecy today, modern day prophets, it's a lonely life. It's a hard life for them to live because God has placed on them the mantle of speaking truth. And those are the rest of us who don't have that gift, who have not been called to that role. We don't always want to hear the truth. But Elijah, he just felt convicted. He was supposed to speak the truth. And this is who he was. So throughout time, uh, in, in the book of 1 Kings, Elijah performed these miracles. And the purpose behind these miracles, or these great uh, demonstrations of power, was to convince the people that, they had act, that he was a prophet, to, to, to kind of prove it. So he would say something, and then he would perform a miracle, and people would be like, oh, maybe he does have some power. Maybe he is speaking for God, and it was a, a demonstration of God's power. Now, theologians differ. Some say that uh, Elijah performed seven miracles. Some say he performed eight miracles. I just threw eight of them up on the screen for you this morning so you can kind of see uh, some of the different demonstrations of power that Elijah uh, uh, showed throughout his time. Probably the, the, the most famous one is when Elijah went up against the prophets of Baal. Remember that story? where there's all those, those prophets, uh, false gods, uh, worshiping false gods and these priests, and they go toe-to-toe -to -toe with one another. And there's this extraordinary uh, e event, this extraordinary miracle. And in the end, uh, God uses Elijah to show uh, the, the prophets of Baal that they were worshiping uh, false gods and, and, and Elijah wins and it's, and it's all good. But lots and lots of stories uh, throughout the book of 1 Kings. Now Elijah knew that he needed a protege. We don't know how we knew, he knew that, but uh, he was convicted that he needed to pass the mantle. He knew that he wasn't going to live forever and he knew that he needed to pass on the mantle, and so he passes on uh, the mantle uh, to a guy by the name of Elisha. And one of the brilliant moves, uh, I think, that Elisha did as the mantle is getting passed between Elijah and Elisha is it's, they're in the process of uh, tr transitioning from one prophet to another. Elisha says to Elijah, hey, could you give me twice the amount of power that you've got? Could you have twice the amount of favor bestowed on me? Which is kind of a good, you know, question for him to ask. Elijah, I think. I mean, we've all kind of heard the story of the, the guy's walking down the beach and uh, he finds a bottle on the beach. He picks it up, rubs it. A genie comes out and the genie says, I'm going to give you three wishes. And the guy says, okay, first, first wish is lots of money. The genie gives him lots of money. Second wish is lots of fame. Genie gives him lots of fame. Third wish, three more wishes. Right? I mean, we've heard lots of variations of this story. That's kind of what's going on between Elijah and Elisha. Elisha says, hey, great miracles, Elijah. 
Can you give me twice the number of miracles? And this is exactly what God does. And so we read uh, in 2 Kings uh, about the, either the 14 or the 16, again, depending on the theologian that you talk to. Can you put up, there we go. So there they are. So God actually honors this. And Elisha actually performs twice the number of miracles of Elijah. I just want to give you a couple this morning that are, are kind of some of my favorites. Uh, one of the miracles of Elisha, and you'll read all, you can read these all in 2 Kings, is one day there was a, uh, it was a, a drought in the land. And so Elisha comes to the people and says, just dig some trenches. And they're like, why would we dig, dig trenches? And he said, like, just trust me, dig some trenches. So they dig these trenches, and pretty soon God fills in those trenches with water, and the people have water. And it's just like, oh, Elisha's got something to say. He can perform miracles like Elijah. Then there was another time where Elisha and his sidekick, Gehazi, his, his servant guy who traveled around with him, they were carrying with them bread and apples. And they had just enough for the, for the a couple of them. And they're walking along. And they run into a hundred people who are hungry. And they're like, hey, we need some food. And they're like, ah, I don't know. And so they perform this miracle of just enough food for, for these two guys to feed a hundred people. Foreshadowing, of course, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Taking just a little bit performing a miracle, and there's plenty of food for everyone. That, that's uh, another miracle of Elisha. Then there was the time, uh, this guy by the name of Naaman, he had leprosy, this skin disease. And he came up to Elisha, and Elisha said, here's what I want you to do. Go wash yourself in the Jordan River. And he said, that makes no sense. He said, but I'll do it anyway. So he goes and washes himself in the Jordan River, and then all of a sudden his skin clears up. It's a miracle. We see these stories uh, in both the Old Testament, but then in the New Testament. Jesus does the same thing. And I think it's important for us when we're looking and reading the Old Testament that we're always looking towards the New Testament and the life of Jesus. Because what is going on in the Old Testament always points to Jesus. These are never isolated stories. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Then there was another time where they're building something, uh, a, a big building, and uh, they're cutting down trees. And the axe head falls off uh, one of the axes into the river, and it sinks down. And they're like, Elisha, what do we do? And he takes some tree branches, and he throws it out in the river, and this metal axe head floats to the surface. Everybody's like, that's a miracle. That's pretty neat. And so you kind of, I wanted to give you a kind of a, a bit of a flavor for some of these miracles. Some of them were healing. Some of them were food related. Some of them were, you know, impacted a lot of people. Other times it was just a, an axe head floating to the surface. Just like, that is really cool. And what it did is it gave legitimacy to Elisha that he was truly a prophet from God. Now, uh, of all these miracles, my favorite, and you know where I'm going with this, my favorite miracle of, of, of Elisha is he's walking down the road one day, just walking down the road, and he looks up ahead, and there's some school kids, and they start taunting him, and they start mocking him, and they use words like, hey, baldy. Apparently, he was bald. And they're giving him a real hard time. So you know what Elisha does? He calls out some bears 
And the scripture says these bears came out of the woods and they mauled those children. That's in the Bible, folks. Don't mess with bald people. I'm just saying. It's, it's there. It's my favorite Elisha story. Many, many miracles are going on in the life of Elisha. You know, even after Elisha died, they buried him, took his bones, put him in a grave. A couple years pass by later, he's out in the cemetery, I suppose. There's a guy out there who, who dies, and they're getting ready to bury him, and word's coming on the street that there's some bandits down the road who are coming. And so the, the, guy, the, the guy who works at the, the cemetery, he gets nervous. He wants to get out of there because he's afraid. And so he just throws this guy into the grave and this, the, the, the dead guy into the grave. And this dead guy uh, touches the bones of Elisha. And he comes back to life. And he just kind of walks off the scene. I mean, even after Elisha has died, he's still performing miracles. I think it's extraordinary. And, and most of us, we think about Elijah and Elisha, and while Elisha performed more miracles, make no mistake about it, Elijah was always considered the greatest prophet. Elijah shows up 30 times in the New Testament. When John the Baptist started preaching and doing what he did, people are like, is it Elijah who has come back? And then remember the time when Jesus was transfigured? Nobody thought, oh, I wonder if that's Elisha. They said, no, it's Elijah there with Jesus. So it's one of these great mysteries of Scripture. And Elijah was important, and, and, and so was Elisha. But Elijah was the most important. And so I want to look a little bit this morning at how this kind of this transition of iron sharpening iron uh, begins. 1 Kings uh, 19, begin, uh, beginning with verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So the first thing that I just kind of want to draw out here is that clearly Elisha comes from a, a pretty wealthy background, 12 uh, yoke of oxen. So tw 24 oxen. That's a lot of oxen. If you've got 24 oxen, you probably also have a lot of land. You have a lot of property. So he comes from a, a pretty wealthy background. We might say he's upper middle class. We might say that he's successful. Uh, we might even say that he's, he's kind of achieved some stuff in his day and time. So Elisha maybe like you and me, he really is not motivated to change his lifestyle because things are pretty good for him. He's got what he needs. He's got some money, he's got some oxen, he's got some land, and he's, he's clearly a very successful farmer. So why in the world would he leave uh, his farming uh, business, his farming calling? Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around Elisha. No words were spoken. Just this throwing of the coat, and it happened really fast. We'd be like, hey, think fast. I mean, it was that, it was just like that. And then and that was the call placed on Elisha from Elijah. You know, when I think about the calling in your life and my life, sometimes it is that fast, isn't it? We're doing what we're doing. 
And all of a sudden, God speaks to us. We're like, ah, I'm kind of busy right now, God. I got stuff going on. I don't really have time for what you're calling me to do, God. I'll do it later, but not right now. Because I'm busy doing what I do, I'm doing. Or we think to ourselves, ah, I'm not really equipped to do that. But I, I want to point out here, Elisha was a farmer. He hadn't been to seminary. He wasn't a missionary. He wasn't even on a church staff. He was a farmer, doing what farmers do. Farming. And in that moment, Elijah places this mantle on Elisha really fast. I think it's important for us to realize that sometimes that's how God works in our lives too. Just a little circumstance, a little incident comes up and it might just be the call of God on your life and my life. In fact, what we're going to read here is Elijah keeps going. He doesn't like place it on him and then they have this conversation. He keeps going. So Elisha actually has to chase him down and have a conversation. I mean, that's how quick this calling was. Verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come with you. It sounds a little odd to us, maybe, living in, in the 21st century. Going to go kiss my mom and dad goodbye. Or maybe you've read the New Testament before. And you know this incident, this story, where Jesus invites this guy to follow him. He says, but let me first go bury my father. And what does Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead, right? This is a very different context and this is a very different story. See, when Jesus says to the guy, let the dead bury the dead, that guy was still alive. The, the guy's father was still alive. In other words, what he was trying to do is give Jesus an excuse why he couldn't follow Jesus in the moment. Jesus, I, I would love to follow you, but I got to go take care of my father. And Jesus says, of course, let the dead bury the dead. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is when this guy says, uh, when Elisha says, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, what he is actually doing is he's making a declaration. He's putting a stake in the ground. He says, let me go say goodbye, and then I will follow you. And as we read throughout Scripture, Elisha never comes back and sees his family again. In other words, he was making it very clear. He was making a cut. He was making a break from his lifestyle and his family. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus has this conversation with this guy, it's, a, it's an example of disobedience or what sometimes people will call delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is really disobedience. And with this story with Elisha, when he says, let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye, this is an, actually an act of, of obedience. It's a way of saying, all right, I'm going to follow you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? This is a bit of an idiom, and it's a little hard for us to understand, but essentially what Elijah is saying to Elisha is, hey, okay, that's between you and God. 
If you want to go kiss your mom and dad goodbye, that's fine. I'm not worried about it. And I talked a little bit about this last week or the week before, this, this whole idea of when God calls us to do something, when God invites us to do something, it, our job is really just to be uh, the inviter of other people to follow after Jesus. And there's three roles. My, my role, your role, and God's role. My job, your job, and God's job. And oftentimes we get these confused and we want to either play the role of the other person, we want to make decisions for them, or me, I don't know how this works for you, but sometimes I just want to play God. And I just want people to experience God and, and surrender to God and, and to walk with God. But, but that's not my job. My job is to preach Jesus, to help people know the love of Jesus Christ, and then it's up to them how they respond and so that's what Elijah is saying to Elisha here. Hey, whatever you want to do, go kiss your mom and dad. That's between you and God. Doesn't matter to me. I think this is one of the other things that we've talked a little bit about, and I just kind of want to spend some more time today talking about this idea of calling. When God comes to you, when God calls to you, and invites you into a, a, a relationship. We talked about this last week. There's a primary calling and a secondary calling. The primary calling is about relationship and how God wants to walk with you. And God will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you, and he will never stop pursuing you for the, all the days of your life. This is the primary call that God has for every single human being on the planet. It's this idea of God leaving the 99 and going after the one. That is all of our primary calling that God has given to us. What this calling is talking about is something different. It's a secondary calling. And the secondary calling is how we use our gifts, how we use our talents, how we use our blessings. And what Elijah is saying to Elisha in the text is you, you do whatever you want. Go kiss your mom and dad goodbye. And he just keeps walking. I love it. They, they don't even stop and have a conversation. In other words, if you say no to God in using your gifts and using your talents, he's going to keep moving. He's going to find someone else. That's the secondary callings in our lives. God wants you to use your gifts and talents to bless other people. But if you say no, and you can say no, he's going to find someone else. See, I think at some point in time, if, as Elijah and Elisha are spending time together, at some point in time, if Elisha had said, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I think I'm going to go back. And, and go back to being a farmer. I think Elisha would have said, peace out, see you later, I'll go find another prophet. I mean, this is just the truth of it. If you want to say no to God in using your gifts, God is going to do what God is going to do, and he's going to find someone else. God doesn't need you to do anything for him. Now, he delights in you. He wants you to use your gifts, and he is overjoyed and thrilled about when you actually do use your gifts. But make no mistake about it, the world is not hanging on your shoulders. You are not the Savior, you are not the Messiah, and neither am I. God is going to do what God is going to do. So we look, we continue on with what's going on here. Elijah says, go back, what have I done to you? Do whatever you want, Elisha. So Elijah, Elisha left Elijah and went back. Elisha took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. 
Then Elisha set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So Elisha takes these oxen, drives them down or walks them down or whatever they do down to Bandana's barbecue. Says, cook them up. Let's feed the village. And they have a big party. Then he takes apart, you know, his, his, his plow, piece by piece. And they make a fire. It's probably hickory smoked fire. And they're having oxen, smoked oxen, and it's a party. I mean, this would be like a farmer making a, a career shift and going, all right, I'm going to get the combine out, take out the combine. And then they start disassembling their combine piece by piece and putting them up on eBay. As if to say, I'm done farming. I'm just getting, I'm liquidating. I'm getting rid of all my stuff. And, and as I was working on the, 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 the message this week, I was thinking about uh, Dan uh, taking apart his combine, his tractor. And there he is with his wrench and his socket set, putting things up on eBay. And he's singing to himself, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. You know that song, right? I mean, that's what's going on. This is exactly what Elisha is doing. He's burning all his bridges so he can't go back. He slaughters the oxen. He takes apart the combine. And he does it in this ritual. And sometimes people ask me, why do you guys have rituals in the church? I think sometimes rituals help us to move forward in our spiritual journeys. I think sometimes rituals help us to experience God collectively and individually in a really powerful way. You maybe don't know this, but Faith Lutheran Church was actually started with a ritual. There were a handful of us gathered over at John and Dev Gordon's house. And we had come out of some church pain. We had all experienced some church pain. And we had some bitterness and anger and just lots of hurt. And we said to one another, hey, if we're going to plant a new church in Bloomington, we can't be the church that's bitter and angry and sad and mad. We got to let it go. And so we spent some time writing down on paper our anger, our bitterness, our hurt, I don't know who it was. Somebody built a fire. And we just threw our pain, our hurt, our struggle in the fire. We did this ritual together. It was really healing. It was really cleansing. It was really helpful for me. I don't know what it was like for the rest of them. But we were built. This church was founded on a ritual of letting go and giving our hurts and our pains and our struggles to God. You know, in many ways, this is who we have been ever since. We've been a, a hospital for those who have experienced church wounds. People who come into this place say, hey, I was at another church, and man, I got really hurt. Yep, we get it. I know. I understand. I know what it's like to be hurt in the life of a church. It's hard. So this is what Elisha is doing, is he performs this ritual that I think provides cleansing and healing uh, and just this definitive statement of, so that he can move forward. So Elijah and Elisha, they spend 155 verses together. 
We read primarily about Elijah in 1 Kings, primarily about Elisha in 2 Kings, but 155 verses, they're hanging out. They're spending time together. And then this is what we read uh, in 2 Kings. As they were walking together, Elijah and Elisha, and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to uh, heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw Elijah no more. I mean, that's how fast. I mean, they're just walking down the road, and all of a sudden this, this fire of chariots comes down, picks up Elisha, and he swoops him up to heaven. It's just like, whoa, that was quick. That was fast. I mean, just as quickly as Elijah put the, the, the mantle on Elisha, that Elijah was all of a sudden gone. And you might think, well, what did Elisha do next? Was he ready for this? I mean, did they have a funeral? Did he, you know, kind of go into a sermon? Did he go into a lament? Did he just kind of, you know, pull his hair out? What, what in the world did Elisha do? No, that, he doesn't do any of that. The text tells us he picked up Elijah's mantle, slapped it on the river, the waters parted, he walked across. I mean, Elisha just stepped right into his calling. He didn't miss a beat. And, I, and what that tells me is that Elijah had equipped Elisha in such a powerful way that Elisha was not filled with all this doubt, all this wondering, okay, now what do I do? He's just like, oh, here we go. And that was the beginning of the 16, 14 or 16 miracles, depending on how you want to look at these miracles. And I love the confidence and just the, the stepping into who God had called Elisha to be. So this morning, I want to give us just kind of one takeaway from the story, I think, between this iron sharpening iron between Elijah and Elisha. One takeaway. It's only got 17 parts to it, though. <laughs> the, one, the one part, or the one thing is I just want us to close with is strategy matters. Strategy absolutely matters. Strategy mattered back in high school when I was running cross country. And I think strategy matters in your lives, in your businesses. Strategy matters in your relationships, right? Any guy who's been married for a little bit of time knows that strategy matters. Sometimes you wanna say something, other times you wanna keep your mouth shut, amen? amen? And if you haven't learned that yet, guys, you need to learn that now. Strategy matters in our businesses, it matters in our relationships, and it matters in ministry for how we get at and do what God has called us to be. How do we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ as followers? And here at Faith Lutheran, if you've been around, you know that uh, we kind of live in and lean into uh, two strategies over and over and over. And the first one is just what we call the discipleship pathway. The discipleship pathway. And the discipleship pathway is, is really about relational discipleship. It's about being in relationship with one another, of walking together. This is what Elijah and Elisha did, is they, they hung out, they spent time together. 
They went camping together. They shared meals together. They would laugh together. They would, I, can, I can about imagine Elijah and Elisha sitting around a fire and just going, man, this is really tough to be a prophet. I know. Nobody believes me. Everybody's mad at me. But they got each other because they were both prophets who really understood uh, one another. This, of course, was Jesus' strategy, hanging out with those 12 group of guys over and over and over. Jesus, he didn't just walk up to the guys and give them a book and say, this is what it means to be a disciple. He said, guys, let's go camping. Let's hang out. Let's spend time together. And for three years, this is how Jesus grew disciples, was in relationship day in and day out. And they shared stories and they got to know one another. And this, of course, is our strategy here at Faith as well. We call it relational discipleship. It's about life groups gathering together. And we, we, we talk about scripture. We talk about what God's up to in our lives. And we, we're in relationship with each other. We share about what's hard in our lives. We share about what's good in our lives. And sometimes we just cry together. Sometimes life is hard. We support one another and we encourage one another. So this is why we talk about relational discipleship and life groups over and over. We just think this is, this was, if this was Elijah and Elisha's strategy, if this was Jesus' strategy, we've just said, hey, this is going to be our strategy too. Because we're just going to gather together in these intentional relationships. And then the second strategy that we've really kind of leaned into is this idea, and I, I haven't talked about it as much as I'd like to, but I hope to talk more about it. We call it the leadership pipeline. It's how do we grow as leaders in the life of the church? Um, and, and I want to kind of just uh, explain to you what I, what I mean by this. I, I shared a, a quote from this book a couple weeks ago. Um, and and the, the leadership pipeline is really about how do we intentionally help each other grow in ministry. And this leadership pipeline really has five steps to it. And it goes something like this. I do... You watch, we talk. Step two, I do, you help, we talk. Step three, you do, I help, we talk. Step four, you do, I watch, we talk. And step five, you do, someone else watches. And so it's this idea of iron sharpening iron, of passing the baton, of one person helping another person in a very intentional way. Not just saying, okay, now you go do it, but it's, hey, let's walk together. It's this, this idea of Elijah and Elisha spending time together. And after they've spent some time together, Elisha picking up the mantle and continuing uh, to run with things uh, as being a prophet of Israel. I want to give you just a couple examples to kind of put some flesh on this. You may not know this, um, but we are in the process of transitioning uh, volunteer coordination here at Faith Lutheran Church. For the last four plus years, maybe five years, uh, Debbie Petrillo, has, you, many of you have been getting emails from her. She's been kind of hurting all of us on Sunday mornings to make sure all these roles are filled on Sunday mornings. And uh, she's done a great job with it. And I'm so grateful, Debbie. Actually, let's give Debbie a hand. And one day, we were talking. I said, hey, Debbie, when are you ready to give this over? She said, ah, about any time. <laughs> Debbie has a servant heart. And so I knew Carrie Valander 
had some skills, had some gifts in this area. And so we approached Carrie and said, hey, Carrie, would you be willing to take on the role, the responsibility of coordinating us on Sunday morning? And so Debbie and Carrie have been spending time together looking at all the roles, all the responsibilities, and working together so that we have a good, smooth transition. So pretty soon, I think in April, right, Carrie's going to be coordinating all of us on Sunday morning, and she's going to be our point person, our go-to person. And it's not that Debbie's going to walk away. Debbie's still going to be around and, and, and be helpful, but Carrie will be the new point person, and we're trying to make this, this transition as smooth as possible. This is what I'm talking about when I say this leadership pipeline and this intentional strategy. Another example, carriage crossing. Many of you know that the first Sunday of the month, uh, we lead worship over at carriage crossing. And uh, what we like to do is, is just go over, and uh, I sometimes will go, and, and some of you, sometimes some of you will go, and, and we'll lead worship over there. And how we began to equip one another with all this is uh, several months ago, uh, I said to Brad and Aaron Morris, hey, do you guys want to come see what's going on over at Carriage Crossing? They're like, sure, we'll check it out. And so they watched and observed me leading worship at Carriage Crossing on a Sunday afternoon. And we talked about it. And after some time, I said, hey, you guys want to do this? And they felt equipped and capable of doing it. And they leaned into it. It's this idea of just working with one another, encouraging one another, helping one another to make these transitions. I heard Doug Dowell was over at uh, Carriage Crossing last week, right? Just observing. Is that right, Doug? And, and then the rumor is, at some point in time, Doug said to John, Hey, is there anything I can do to help? And I heard you even serve communion, right? You did. So you're already on step two. <laughs> but it's this idea is we're going to work together. We're going to walk together. We're going to equip one another together. And as we do this, we're going to encourage each other to support one another. One, one, another example, last Sunday night, uh, the youth uh, here at Faith were doing game night at Carriage Crossing, another Carriage Crossing example. And it was really cool because Tim Moore does such a great job with this. Uh, he leads our youth, as you know, and uh, he was the bingo caller for the night. And so it was very fun uh, to have Tim doing the bingo calling. And after some time, one of our youth, Jamie Carlock, said, hey, can I be the bingo caller now? And so Tim passed the torch, the leadership torch. Jamie all of a sudden had all the power in the room on the bingo cards. Because Tim makes it so easy for these young people to gain confidence to serve in leadership. When they show up at a youth event, they're just not like, hey, Tim's going to do it all and I'm just going to be an active participant. What Tim is constantly and actively doing is he's equipping these kids and giving them confidence so that they can lead and be leaders in the church. It was just this beautiful moment uh, of Jamie leading um, last week at Carriage Crossing. And then I'll just say one other thing. Sometimes you notice that I don't always preach on Sunday morning. You notice that? Sometimes I'm not preaching on Sunday morning and I'm still sitting here. Can I preach most every Sunday? Yes. But for what's really important for me is that there are other people in the life of our church who are being equipped. 
other people in the life of the church who are not only, many of you are already equipped, but you need a platform, you need a place. And I think it's really important. I, first of all, I do appreciate a break from preaching on occasion. I love when Jim or John or Tom preaches on Sunday morning. It's just, it's such a blessing to me when these guys preach. But I think it's also important for you as a congregation to hear these other voices, these other people who have remarkable preaching gifts and teaching gifts for them to stand up here and hear the message that God has placed on their hearts. That's intentional. Because I think as, as a congregation, I don't ever want this church to be about me. I don't want this church to be about my gifts. I don't want this church to be about, you know, what I can do. This is, this is God's church. We are stewards and we have to be about doing this together. And this is why we work really hard to share the responsibility, to share the load, to share the things that we do on Sunday morning. I can do most anything in the life of the church except for the finances, but I don't. In fact, I don't even come to church on Sunday morning while the group of folks are setting up because I, my temptation is to just start setting up chairs or setting up equipment or rolling out the carpet or something like that. That's, that's just what I want to do. I, I'm, just, I'm just like, ah, I want to do it. So I've, I've just had to train myself to not come and be a part of that because you guys are capable of doing that. You guys are good at that. We got great preachers here too beyond me. So there's this idea of building a culture of shared leadership over and over and over. I mean, folks, I'm an interim pastor. We're all interim in the life of this church. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. And so what we've got to be about is constantly raising up new leaders in our midst to share and do the ministries in the life of the church. Now, Lord willing, I'm going to be here a long time. Lord willing, you're going to be here a long time. But we've got to plan for the day like Elijah to Elisha. It's not going to last forever. And we've got to lean into and equip the next generation to do ministry. I think this is the story of Elijah to Elisha, iron sharpening iron. And when we do ministry together, I think we all grow in our gifts. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for these remarkable um, characters from the Old Testament, these people who lived and walked and breathed and performed some extraordinary miracles. And God, while we may have difficulty relating to all that, Lord, you make it very, very clear that you have called us to equip the next generation. You have called us to gather together, to be in relationship with one another, to help each other to grow. That God, you did not send down a book from heaven so that we could learn about you. You sent a man to be in relationship with us. So God, help us to lean into your strategy strategy of scripture, the strategy in the life of our church, the strategy of growing disciples and planting churches. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.